This is Mark Fletcher, and welcome to my world. Welcome to Southern Tales, tall and otherwise. Food has always been like some sort of mystery to me, and and I'm always amazed when a new product is introduced. I mean, I always wonder, well, in this day and time, how could they still be discovering food? I know we're discovering things in faraway galaxies and stuff, but would you have thought that all the food had been discovered? I am proud to say that I was among the first people on Earth to taste at least two creations that went worldwide. And it started in my little Tennessee town, though the inventor never got the credit until now. And like I say, it's just a Southern thing. Sit back and enjoy. Southern Tales, Season 2, Episode 6, Jamie, Big Boy Fry. As a kid, as for any and every kid, when you're growing up, you meet characters who seem larger than life. You are amazed at their greatness or smartness or kindness or whatever. These people create an indelible imprint on the foundation of our lives. Some are small prints and some are large. But they are all a part of who we grew up to be. And that is where we're off to tonight. And while there may be some disputes about the actual facts, this is the way I remember it. And in my opinion, every goddamn word is true. Now, I'm going to ask you again to go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes, if not all of them. You see, every episode in the series kind of builds upon itself. These are stories about me, my family, cousins, uncles, closest friends, some friends who are close but maybe aren't anymore, <laughs> some who don't want to hear these stories, maybe. But and, yeah, it's true, some of them are allegedly kin to me, but I really don't know how. I refer to them as uncles or cousins or whatever it may be. But these are all characters that I introduce, and they continually weave their way in and out of these stories. And sometimes, in order to understand the context of the humor, you need to know the characters. Tonight's episode is no different. You know that I grew up on a military base. Well, really, it was an army ammunition plant where we made tank shells that the army sent to Israel 24-7. And the Israelis love to shoot tanks, apparently. 
It was owned by the Department of Defense, but it was ran by a contractor. In the 70s, it was Harvey Aluminum, and then later it became Martin Marietta. We lived on the base, and the plant itself was a small city with everything. We had our own power, water, sanitation, sewer, everything you needed. We had our own softball field, skeet range, tennis courts, swimming pool, clubhouse. And the plant had its own hospital, fire station, guard station, wastewater plant, water plant, and cafeteria. Now, the cafeteria at Area T was not far from my house. During the summer, I would always beg my dad to let me ride my bike up there and have lunch with him. Some might say I did this because I loved being with my dad. Okay. Some might say I loved any excuse to be able to ride my bike out of the neighborhood. But the really smart ones would say that I knew great food when I tasted it. There's probably truth in all those statements. But the primary thing I remember is not only the food, but the master chef, Jamie Fry, whom they lovingly called Big Boy. I say lovingly because I don't think he had any enemies. Now, Jamie was a big boy, and he was tall and strong, but he was just big. And to me, being a kid, he looked like he was weighed a thousand pounds, but he was probably well over three hundred pounds. And to me, to me, he didn't look like fat. He didn't look fat. I mean, he just looked big. I mean, Santa Claus looked big to me, and I never thought Santa Claus was fat. But everyone loved him and his demeanor. And, of course, his food. Now, I first remember Big Boy when I was Bat Boy for my dad's Little League team. Harvey Aluminum was a sponsor of my dad's team. And I was, I don't know, seven or eight. And Big Boy's son, Phil, was a star on the team. It was a pretty good team, too. I think it had guys like Tom Bryant and Phil Mischke, Lee Jewell, and some others. But Phil Fry, Big Boy's son, was my favorite. He was just like his dad. I mean, he was as good as they come. He was always so good to me, and I was just a little kid, right? I wasn't even a very good bat boy. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened to him, but I would guess that he was successful in life at most anything he wanted to do. Just one of those guys. Later, I went to school with his little sister, Lori, who was a year younger than me. And yep, you guessed it. She was a great, outgoing personality, and everyone loved her. I think goodness just ran in the family. It, it was called Area T where my dad worked, and it's where all the big shots were for the Department of Defense. That's where the plant commanding officer, who always wore his Army uniform, was there, as were all the departments like quality assurance, engineering, purchasing, safety. Safety was where my dad worked, and he worked for Mr. Simmons, a neighbor, until Mr. Simmons retired, and then my dad became the chief safety engineer. I would ride up there maybe a mile or a bit more and check in at the guard shack. They would give you an official visitor's badge, and my dad would meet me at the gate. We might stop by his office, but usually I was in a hurry to get to the cafeteria, as it seemed most folks were. This was not the Katie McKellar cafeteria with that awful food that I dreaded going into for every lunch. This was Nirvana. Now, earlier, I kind of gave you a teaser, like wondering about how new foods are invented. This is my story. From the first time I went to lunch with my dad until the last time we ate in that cafeteria, the best thing there was always dessert. And it was not the artificially simulated desserts that most places have now. This was homemade stuff by Jamie and his staff. 
and it was over the top with greatness. But the greatest thing in a sea of greatness was what he called brownie pie. Now, this brownie pie was in a regular tight pie crust, but the name never did it justice. It was soft and tasty and looked like brownie on top, but inside was full of chocolate wonderfulness that is indescribable. I mean, it kind of oozed, but it didn't. I mean, it was just, I don't know, there's no real description for the, for the texture and the, the wonderfulness of it. I, I could never get enough of it, and sometimes I would get two pieces. And eventually, my dad got Jamie to give him the recipe. My mom has made that pie now for 50 years. And it's a holiday staple at our house. And everywhere we went after that, I would order their chocolate pie or chocolate chest cake or whatever. But there was not an establishment in America that had Jamie Fry's Big Boy Brownie Pie. Until. Until. Memphis's most popular barbecue restaurant, and I'm not going to name Corky's in this episode because I want to leave them anonymous, but it opened somewhere in the late 70s or early 80s, and soon after, an item called fudge pie appeared on their menu. They would serve it warm with ice cream, and of course, I had to try. The first time I was floored, it was Jamie's big boy pie. Someone had duplicated his recipe, or had they? Do you seriously think that in the whole wide world, the only folks who duplicated his recipe just coincidentally happened to be less than 100 miles from the creation point. Working through some odds given to me by an actuary and also by a poker player, I believe him pretty much, it is about one in a million that this could happen so close to the source and simply be a coincidence. But it gets weirder. By the way, I will post the recipe on our website at Broadneck Music for those of you who want to have the classic big boy brownie pie. But as I say, it gets weirder. Sometime in the early 70s, I remember Jamie came up with another creation. One day for lunch, he was trying to get folks to try his new pork patty sandwich. He told my dad that he'd had a surplus of these pork pieces of meat and wanted to try something new. See, these pieces of meat were like in oblong patties, and he had uh, come up with a really tasty sauce. It was kind of a barbecue sauce, but it wasn't. It was different, you know? And then he would garnish the bun with pickles and onions if you wanted. I tried one. It was absolutely amazing. It became overwhelmingly popular, and it became a staple at the cafeteria because it was so wonderful. But it wasn't an everyday item. I think... Maybe it was only on Fridays. I, I can't remember, but it didn't always have it. A year or two later, the federal government, always trying to save money. You don't really believe that, do you, about the federal government? But that's what they always say. They brought in some fast food folks to discuss creating a food court and getting rid of the cafeteria. They thought maybe by these independent contractors coming in, they could save money and, and everybody be happy. Well, these consultants stayed around for a week or two. They were eating in the cafeteria. They were looking into operations. They were interviewing customers. They were doing all sorts of fact-finding surveys and whatnot. In the end, it was decided, no surprise, that Jamie had the most efficient operation and no contractors could equal or improve his operation. High praise from the government, who are always trying to screw around with our lives anyway. I still feel that way about those guys. 
Anyway, just a few years later, yep, you guessed it, McDonald's. Market tested a new sandwich in the South. Now, coincidentally, they market tested it in Jackson, Tennessee. Now, I don't know how far or wide the market test was, but coincidentally, understand the quotations, Jackson, Tennessee was in the test area because I actually tried one of the new sandwiches. I can't remember if they called it the McRib at that time or not. They were probably still fiddling around with names, but they were like selling them two for a buck or something. It was crazy. And um, I tried one, and I probably bought two if they were two for a buck. Guess what? It was Jamie Big Boy Fry's Sandwich. He'd called it a pork cutlet sandwich or something. But here it was at McDonald's. And once again... How are new foods discovered? You may think that a bunch of mad scientist chefs are locked away in a kitchen putting together every possible ingredient combination until they find that perfection. Or you could just steal it. No actual proof other than coincidence, really? Another coincidence? Or another genius idea stolen by the big boys? And if you saw the McDonald's Ray Kroc film about how he stole McDonald's from, you know, the McDonald's brothers, stealing the McRib sandwich from Big Boy wouldn't be any big deal. And of course, there's nothing we can do except maybe start a petition asking McDonald's to rename their pork sandwich. I think they should call it the Big Boy. Sounds fitting to me. Let's start a movement. For the liner notes of this episode and all episodes of the Southern Tales podcast, please go to broadneckmusic.com where you'll find out more about the episode. You can also find more about our kick-ass theme music from Audra Brown, one of Memphis's best young songwriters. You can also contact me at stalespodcast at gmail.com. You can ask questions, hey, or you can tell me your stories, and eventually your stories can get on Southern Tales podcast. Once again, Thanks for listening, and please tell a friend about the fun we're having. See you next week on Southern Tales, 20 Minutes and a Smile. (laughs) 